Arteta! What a Some devastating news for Arsenal, and in particular, Mikel Arteta, as he is told if Arsenal beat Fulham in two weeks, he will not get a trophy. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Mikel Arteta must be falling under the illusion that every time Arsenal take the pitch, they win a trophy at the end of the game, because that's all we do. All we do is win, 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 no matter what. Got trophies on our mind. And, and anyway, I'm not, you know what? I'm not doing that. Uh, pause on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. We, um, we're going to do something that we should do more often and we don't do enough, which is take listener questions. I put the call out on Twitter and Facebook, and we, we got some uh, hits there, as the kids say. So we'll, uh, we'll go through some of your questions. But I, I do want to at least start with some discussion of the game. And I'll start with you, Clive, because you haven't had a chance to talk about it. Paul uh, did a little chat with Tim on the um, Instant Reaction Pod for patrons. So let's, let's get your thoughts, Clive. I think um, the first thing I just want to touch on I thought the game was actually played in a much, at a much higher level and much more competitively contested than I was expecting. The lineups, particular Liverpool's lineup, was quite strong, and as a result, uh, and I know this is a very easy thing to say when when we won and we lifted the trophy, so uh, I'm still going to say it anyway. I think it was a reasonable measuring stick. So I'm curious if you feel the same about the level of the competition and the extent to which we can sort of measure ourselves by this performance. Yeah, so last week we went on the podcast. I was I was sort of the one sort of saying how important this game was, and you lot were laughing at me saying the preseason is not important. We ended up in a sort of halfway house saying preseason is important for coaches, but I do think preseason is really important. I just think it's um, a good opportunity to see where people are, to see where we are, to see what continuity is. This preseason is completely different to any other one in our lifetime. Because there is barely anything we're going to see. We've been one game against MK Dons and obviously straight into this game. So to me, it was important. And it was, what was really pleasing was to see the same confidence and assurance come back. So when the game started, I just I just felt okay watching them. And where Arsenal made a massive step forward for me is in our competitive edge. So we are, we are competitive when we're not on the ball, much more competitive than we used to be. When we have the ball, we have an idea what we're trying to achieve. So when you put those two things together and you start to clarify people's roles a little bit and then you add a little bit of the sexiness with a Maitland Niles and how he shifts position and that's been Saka in the past and suddenly you think, you know, this is starting to look okay. Weaknesses are covered and plus we're, we're creating a tactical challenge for the opposition. So it's quite nice to see that continue. Quite nice to see the players that have risen in their assurance and confidence just continue to do that. And that is a testament to the, the management and that is a testament to the environment and how the players feel. And it feels like a place now to me where they all seem to want to be in. They all seem to want to stay in and they all seem to want to enjoy this this feeling around the club. And I was thinking, I went out my bike today and I was thinking about this and I was thinking... What would this be like, all these recent games, you know, two against Liverpool, the Chelsea, the City game? What would it have been like if, if fans were in the ground? And I actually think we'd be in quite a euphoric place. 
I think we'd have we'd have it would have transmitted in a different way. We might not have buried all our penalties into the corner. <laughs> we may not. Have, um, we can look at it and say, well, will the players play so well and there's more pressure on them? Well, I think the the game has its own pressure. You're internalized on the game. But just can you imagine how we'd have felt in a semi final game and the final games, the Liverpool League game? Just imagine this would have this would have been real highlight moments as a fan. Trust me. It would have been. It would have transmitted, and the club would have transmitted a much different aura. Even though the results have been good, they've been sort of results, good results, good feeling, internalised amongst the playing and coaching staff. The, the fans are there. We're there virtually. We're not really there. That connection isn't really there, and I think we would have been in an even more positive place if the fans were allowed to experience what we have experienced face to face per se. Yeah, I mean. It- I guess it's also a fair question to wonder, like, we've often talked about, like, these players being bottlers and not having the right attitude and not having the, the right mentality and some of the soft factors. And I do wonder if you've got a team full of bottlers when the stadium is empty and the energy is gone and the electricity is off, and even if the stakes are still big, but it feels somehow less pressurized, <laughs> does that help us? I mean, I'm not, that's not an encouraging thing, and I, I hate to, to sort of couch it in those terms, but it is interesting. I wonder if we're the exact kind of team that really benefits from not having that electricity at the stadium um, to some extent. Paul, I, you know, I, I think we, we beat Liverpool in the league. And I think we all felt very strongly that we kind of lucked our way into that. Um, sure. You know, we took our chance as well, fair, fair play, but we were under the cosh most of the game. And I, I don't know that we were in the game very much, but we held out and it, you know, worked out. We didn't dominate Liverpool in this game, but I felt that we were much more a, a, a part of, of contesting the game in the attacking half, of playing with the ball, of of having some possession, of having a plan that that worked a little bit. And Liverpool are are maybe in a bit of a transition. They're trying to play a bit of a higher line. That you know they're always sort of changing the the extent to which they press. I don't think they really turned up the pressure on us in this game the way they did in the two league fixtures. But we did play out of the back, out from the back, quite effectively. I mean, the the goal we get, um, you know, Aubameyang's goal is is from brilliant play out of the back. The way we use Maitland-Niles to, to be in the back five but then get forward and, and join up in the attack so we had extra outlets. You know, I thought that there was a lot of encouraging things in terms of our play with the ball in this game that we didn't see against Liverpool in the first game. So are there any things you want to highlight in particular that, that you thought helped us be involved in this game more? Do you attribute much of it to Liverpool having a different attitude towards the game or do you think that there were some tactical tweaks that made a big difference? Um. Look, there's always going to be just a little bit more space and time on the ball in the community shield after break than there was in that, especially that first uh, or that uh, most recent Liverpool matchup. Um, so, y- y- you know, you got to factor that in a little bit. But we've also, cle- I mean, we've what we did in this game, we did against City. So this is not a, 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 a data point. That's a total outlier. We did to Liverpool basically what we did to uh, City and in in many ways what we did to Chelsea in the final. So this is not an outlier. You can, you can plot a graph where we're on an, uh, an upward trend and we just moved that ball really around them. I mean, you can say that maybe Liverpool weren't as intense as they've been at other times, but they were on the play for the goal. I mean, they were right up there. They were, they had their front three, I mean, holding, standing on our byline. Uh, Martinez is passing under pressure. 
who uh, El Neni, who basically first times it to Holding, who first times it to Bellerin. And had they not pinged it one after the other, we don't get around them. And what Bellerin finds that his marker is halfway between him and Saka and puts a clever ball through to him. And That's a great ball, th- by the way. Uh, yeah, th- It is a great ball. But he has that little bit of space. Why does mm. he have that little bit of space? Because we have stri- we have used every fucking inch of that pitch. I mean, Bellerin's on on the touchline, Holdings on on the. We have made that pitch bigger than you can make a pitch. I mean, we've just fucking stretched it, like uh, you know, uh, a condom over an erect oh, um, oh uh, a oh. gatepost. Oh boy, gatepost. Okay, thank you. Right. <laughs> an erected gatepost. I, I can live with that. I can live with that. <laughs> Something for everybody in there. It's a family show. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said penis. Um, yeah, well, and there you did. <laughs> and it's gone. So you can fix it in post. Yeah, um, definitely. And will. then Saka pings that ball like a, well, he pings that ball. Uh, and Obama Yang is doing, you know, uh, we had options there. We had Tierney right up that wing overlapping him, which... We have we basically used every inch of the pitch, and th- that's a level of confidence and composure. And I got to say, in the second half, they they came onto us and they were very good. And yes, they deserve that goal. But overall, I felt I really felt we were in this game all the way through, and that we've grown as a team. I mean, Arteta's uh, saying, uh, you know, there was no fear going into this game, and I believe it. And as a supporter, I didn't feel any trepidation okay we went into this pretty relaxed but as uh, as you as we got that goal as we poured ourselves into this game as it was clear that liverpool were really going for it suddenly everybody gave a shit and by the time we reached the penalty penalties it was kind of finger biting and people hugging each other uh, with the tension so i think this was a pretty good measure i mean it doesn't it doesn't give you anything going forward but it gives you a bit and, uh, yeah, I, I think this is reflective of the fact that we're growing into this. We don't beat Liverpool, you know, if it's only wins and losses, we don't beat them half the time. But maybe we, at the moment, we could maybe win three out of ten against them with them winning seven or three and a half. Not quite at the four or five mark. But we, we to your point earlier, we are not, we contend with them. Um, and... It's it's getting to a very interesting place for us, and there are attractive elements to our play, and it's not only because we have no choice to be passive. Uh, we come at them uh, at moments of our choosing after we stretch them, and it's 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 ex- exciting and enthusing to watch. Yeah, and like you always have the choice to try to contextualize this stuff in ways that can take the shine off it just don't feel like doing that right now and i fully acknowledge that i'm i'm opting to read the positives into a performance in the community shield that i probably would be perfectly fine dismissing if we got hammered in that very same competition but like you always have a choice of the way you want to view things and you know i mean as long as you're staying somewhat objective and acknowledging that you're leaning into one perspective a little more than the other i think that's fair play because you know, a total outlier would be one thing, but it's not. Well, and that's a fair point too, right? I mean, we beat City and Chelsea on the way to the FA Cup final. So, Clive, you want to add to that? Yeah, just thinking, really. We 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 all feel the same. So I was just thinking as Paul was talking. So why why do we feel we're more competitive? And it's really, really simple, really. 
Do you remember we played Liverpool in the home game last year when we went to the diamond and they kept switching on us and going down the sides and they pulled our diamond almost into a flat line? What Liverpool do very cleverly is they switch play quite aggressively. They're good switchers and they cross into a front three a lot. They get in good crossing areas. They've got a good crossing model with a triangle in the box and they and they hit those areas or they get you on a counter-attack, right? They go through you with running lines. So it's very important to be competitive in Liverpool that you're able to either have a positional system which covers the pitch, which we did when we went to a back five. We covered the wide areas early. Or you have the ability to travel from zone to zone so they cannot get the numerical advantage they're seeking by switching play. And so we have very good athletes on the outside of our team, the Maitland Niles and Bellerin, for example. We have Tierney also can go from out to in and vice versa. You can go out to the zone. So what happens is we're taking away their numerical advantage and their ability to get us isolated because we can now travel. We've got good players that can move. We have a double pivot in there, which we are always available. They become your release valve. Nothing more than that. And we rock around that double pivot. Everyone says they only need to have a decent game. All he's done is be available. Be available for when we have the ball, that we don't just kick it back to them. And that's where the quality comes in. This is where we've really improved. We've been run off our feet. What we do, when we have our moment, we say, OK, you've had us for a little while. But we're still going to drop our centre-backs into the box. We're going to drop our front our double pivot in between them. And we're going to push our full-backs high. We're going to push maintenance even higher. And we're going to say to you, Come and get us in. Come and get us. You think you've got us on the road, but we're going to be brave enough to play. That's a massive mental transformation to have that assurance and ability that thinks we're as good as you. And we saw the goal, obviously the goal we loved. My favourite goal of the season was the Man City first goal. Very similar. It all come from bravery from players that are pretty average, some of them, but able to say, it's okay to play here. Even on our byline, even on our... Right on our goal line, we're still going to play. We're still going to pass it. We're still going to our goalkeeper. And when we get out, we're coming for you. And we're going to execute. And it's, it's a, it is a major transformation in our mentality and competitive edge. Underpinned by good tactics and understanding of the game. It's a game of numerical advantage. How can you isolate people? How can you overload people? Where you have numerical advantage, use it. Just because it's near your goal, still use it make them come out of their shape. And we did that consistently. And when we broke, we broke with confidence. <coughs> we had good chances in the first half. And it's just wonderful to see this continue on from the um, City and the um, Chelsea games. Yeah, I agree. I, let me, since I just said I'm not going to be a downer and I want to look at this positively, let me add a slight down note, Paul, that you can address. And I'll weave in a question here because I think it hits it. Uh, yeah, why do I pick the names that are a little tricky? Sarakaya comes in at void underscore main, where the O in void is a zero, um, says, I have little confidence in us breaking down mid and bottom table teams. Even if we add a creative mid, it won't, uh, won't it need a major change in our gameplay strategy? What do you think Arteta is thinking here? Last season, we struggled and eked out wins, but that's not really sustainable. The reason I, I weave in this question here, Paul, is we beat Liverpool in the league. We beat Chelsea, uh, City, then Chelsea, now Liverpool again all with this back three, avoiding midfield, playing out from the back, and then quick counterattacks. We actually were long ball FC at times in this game, um, and it's worked, certainly. I do think, in terms of the paucity of chances we create, 
against the smaller teams. You know, I mean, Arteta, Arteta might randomly prefer to play the top six every week than the bottom six, given the the pattern of plays, patterns of play we've developed in the way we create our chances. So, you know, pertinent to Sarakaya's question, like, do we need a, a, a different strategy, a different approach for the games where you have to get three points every week? Um, you know, is there any cause for concern that this system that we've developed that's been so successful over the last, you know, few big games doesn't mm. necessarily yield the same outcome in the other in the other kinds of games against the small teams? Sure, sure. I think uh, Tim nailed it uh, succinctly and eloquently uh, in the post-match reaction pod. And, uh, you know, we have our plan B working very well. What we don't have is a plan A that uh, makes the uh, middle uh, tier clubs in the Premier League quake, maybe not even the lower tier clubs. We'll, we'll probably still outplay those guys just because we have enough quality. But the mid tier, we're not able to separate ourselves and establish our quality over them at the moment. And I think we need to add one or two players to be able to play in a different way there. Um we're, we are missing uh, the midfielders that want to play further up the pitch. They get into the box. So unless one of the young lads adapts um, and has the season of his life or we kind of redeploy Sacco or uh, Arteta sees something there or Maitland-Niles comes back in the fold and we play with two eights, you, you know, we, we need something different here than what we currently have lined up. We, uh, Arteta ha- doesn't have the time to change our system based on the players we have and the, the players themselves don't make a big enough delta um, to make that a- appealing or attractive to him, I think. I think it's just too far a stretch with this team. We're, we're lacking something. We don't, have the, we don't have anything like a Silva or a De Bruyne, e- even kind of a step down below those guys. Um, Part, party, I think, I, I don't love that signing and that the age profile and all that, but he would definitely add our ability to contend a midfield battle and play with more of a three if we bring him in and somebody like Awar uh, would give us that that uh, joker in the middle of the pitch um, who's who who'll battle in midfield but he's he's really there to threaten the box kind of like a an Aaron Ramsey profile player and so we would need to change i think our uh our starting uh contenders there to really play in a different way yeah um i i'm going to let you have a go at this Clyde but i i think the the one thing that i would say um you know playing against chelsea in the final i kind of saw a little glimpse of our issues. And I, look, I know Chelsea has scored a lot of goals and created a lot of chances, so maybe reading from this one game is is a mistake. But like, because they don't have anyone in advanced midfield that hurts you, and because Jorginho and Kovacic really are good controlling central midfielders, but not much more than that, you know where the threat's coming from, and I think it's a lot more easy to shut it down. Now, when you have great, great wingers who can cut inside, their wingers like to cut inside, more like Pepe on both sides. You know, Pulisic likes to do it, and Mount cuts inside and plays almost like a 10, and that's how they address that issue. We don't really have a way to address that issue, and I do think, Clive, that that area, that central midfield, I mean, in this game against Liverpool, the best thing I can say about Shaka and Elneny is we basically didn't need them to do anything. 
Um, and that's kind of how Arsenal have to thrive right now, essentially by not needing midfield. And I just don't think you can get away in the small games that way. So what are your thoughts on this system and how impressive we've been in these big games? And it's such a refreshing change to be competitive and be uh, come out victorious in big games, but as it relates to the smaller games where the tweaks have to be made and if they can be made with the with the personnel we have. Yeah, so when you put the system in place, what you're really trying to eliminate is redundancy on the pitch, right? So if we're playing against a smaller team, do we need a double pivot and a back and a back three? We probably don't, because immediately we got redundancy there. So we need to take one of those guys out and, and move the system slightly further forward. So what's going to happen with the with Arsenal is people are going to start to respect us. They're going to start to look at us. They're going to start to drop off because they all know that we can't create at the moment. But we brought Willian in to help us with that. We've got Pepe who's really could be used a lot more in that. And we need to add maybe one more to do that. It really is done by forward movement. So you, you what you do is you start high and you roll off the back line into those midfield spaces. You turn around and you do short combination plays or diagonals over the top. So it's about forward movement, combinations, forward offensive patterns in those areas. So when you roll off, you receive it, you turn around. All bats got to be bursting past you, running through lines, collapsing them, moving them. Or you dink it over into a little diagonal, cut it back Barcelona-style five-a-side goal. There's ways to do it with pattern and forward movement, but we haven't got enough players that want to get it, turn around, sharp movement, like a mount, like a Pulisic. I think they're great examples of receiving it, back foot, turn, pop it, get it back. Next phase, runner, running through, hard cross, low cross across the area. Very similar to Man City, they use eights to do it. Very similar to them. Liverpool use fullbacks to get that cross in. I think it's all about the movement and having the players who can receive it, create things which are hard to stop from a coaching perspective because it's all individualistic. So that's where we're going to have to go. We will not need Eddie Nketiah in those games to work two centre-backs and pin them back and try to, to dispossess them. We won't need that. Mm. We'll need a cute Aubameyang moving in the box waiting for that moment just to get half a yard to side foot a ball in. And we'll need lots of inside forwards and wingers to receive it in small spaces. So That's where inverted wingers big... become really important, right? Because if you're going to play the back five, the wing backs go beyond them, and the inverted wingers, much like Chelsea with Pulisic and Mount were doing, come inside and, and sort of become that that number 10 in a way. Exactly. I, I, I'm not, honestly, mate, I coached a game at the weekend and the forward movement of the team we were playing against was just a, a classic example of what to do. They had two double pivot. They had two wide men that rolled off the sides and played almost like a 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. And they're incredible to hard to mark. They were never in contact with anybody. They turned around, punched it off the line, one-twos, through, and we were like fighting to hold on to them. And it wasn't a battle. It was all about movement and knowing when to when to trigger, when to release knowing when to go, then fullbacks will come and join in. It was all done on timing. And so I've seen it, and then you think you, you take it to the elite level, and you can you can see it again. And it's just a, it's just where we have to go next. And that's why the signings that we've got in Willian, and we may get another one, we need those players that can get it in the small spaces and do what David Silva's done for 10 years or so. Pop it, move it, we control it technically secure so we actually move off of him because we trust him to hold that ball and I think we need one more of those as this team develops and people start to respect us and drop away 
and then we can develop a new game, which we haven't really seen yet because it's not been part of the uh, initial structure that Arteta's put in place. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I think that that, you start to see a way that we could do it um, without necessarily fixing, in quotes, the, the midfield right away. Um, Pepe drifting inside, maybe Saka drifting in from the left, or maybe it's William who who plays inverted and drifts in and, and sort of per- provides that creativity. Um, you know, I, I think it is an open question is what, what we're going to do with Saka. I mean, we've now seen him sort of thrive on that right um, that you have to think is Pepe's role. He hasn't really played left wide forward in months and months and months and months. You know, he's been a left wing back. He's been the right-sided forward. Can anyone think of the last time he played left-sided forward? I mean, that's basically Aubameyang's position. Now, maybe that changes if Lacazette goes, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, You know, just to sort of wrap up on this game, because I do want to get to the questions, and we've got a lot of them, um, and and maybe what I can do is bring in a a question here to you, Paul. Uh, Vanig Bostanian at 14 Vanig 23 says, I like Joe Willick more as a right-sided midfielder when he comes on for Pepe in closing stages. And I really liked him yesterday when he came on instead of Eddie. He also knows how to arrive late in the box. Do you see a future for him there? I, I think I've been pretty clear about what I think of Joe Willock. <laughs> I thought this was a fantastic performance for him. Now, it says something that maybe one of the best performances I've seen from Joe Willock in ages is a late sub appearance in a sort of half preseason, half competitive fixture. But, you know, qualifications aside, I thought he did really, really well. And you see the danger he can create um, and, and the value of a midfield player who can arrive in the box. His header wasn't great, but that positioning, that's the Aaron Ramsey role. I mean, it really is. So is, is that a future for him, Paul? And, and is the, is the what he can add as a goal scorer and as someone who arrives in the box something that still leaves you fairly intrigued about his future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like Joe Willick a lot. Um, his quality uh, at certain times is rough and raw. He's very young, so that's a... That's a battle between those two things. How much will he improve over the next year or two? I'd expect to see a bit more from him already. So, uh, you know, I've been I've been uh, very much in the Willock is a fascinating prospect camp, but I expect to see a bit more quality this year than uh, than I've seen. On the other hand, he's he's maybe overperformed in his uh, athleticism. His ability to stretch the game, you know, when he goes past a player, they stay beat and some. Uh, and he will take the whole team up the pitch. So uh, we don't really have kind of the the bullpen or the closers in, in football. But um, uh, I think he's ripe for a loan, to be quite honest. The, the only issue with so he can go and play, so he can go and start, so he can go and work on what to do when he's in the final third because he doesn't get a lot of that quality time at the moment. He comes on for scraps towards the end. On the other hand, uh, he's apparently extremely useful because he's had uh, closing in on the best part of 50 starts now. I think it was up to 44, 45, not starts, sorry, appearances, uh, 44, 45. Almost all of them as a sub. He probably has, you know, uh, something like seven, six, seven Premier League starts. Um, but how do you send out? A, I don't see who we'd be replacing with him with so far this this summer. Um, so where are you replacing that utility sub um, next season? So he may weirdly have made him somewhat himself somewhat uh, irreplaceable within our closers who come on and provide 
legs and minutes. Uh, but he could really do with a, a loan so he can sharpen himself up and settle into a position. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging for him. I mean, he's been played as a 10, as a 10 a number of times. Um, and then he comes on and he's like an 8 or he's a wide player. And then the, the, the stage of the game he comes on, just because you're playing in a particular position, doesn't mean that it isn't a radically different uh, role based on what you've been told to do. If you've been told to run up towards the corner flag and put put the pole there and win a corner in the last five minutes, just because you're standing at the eighth spot or over on the right side of the field doesn't exactly mean you're playing as, a, as an eight, that you're getting all of the experiences that you get from the start of a game or in the, the core periods of a game. Mm. So I think it's been tough on him. I think we use him as a closer. And that might be great for, you know, maybe you keep him around for a season or so and then uh, he gets his loan or you try to transition him to a a, a mature, more rounded player. But, uh, I mean, he's doing, in some ways, he's doing great given the fact that he's always kind of drinking the dregs uh, at closing time for us. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess... The thing that's hard for me with Joe Willick is, you know, I see a performance like this for a team that doesn't create enough chances and doesn't get enough goals from midfield and says, there's got to be a way we can take advantage of that. But the the parts of his game that are weak, you know, like you could say it's the Aaron Ramsey role, but Aaron Ramsey was technically very, very, very gifted. And he had an engine that was quite incredible. And I, I think the, the delta there is massive. And so, you know, I was looking at some Arsene Wenger quotes about when players develop their technique and stuff. And he's talking about it being at like, 14 years old, you know, yeah. um, that, it, that at that point they are who they're going to be technically. So, you know, sometimes we say expected to see a bit more from, I mean, I'm, I'm in his camp, but I did expect to see a little more quality at this point. Yeah. Um, Clive, I want to shift gears. We got to have the Ainsley Maitland Niles conversation. So let's do it now. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, the Hinkley Gooner, um, at from dial square says, yeah, why would we sell AMN whilst we are in a big rebuild? He seems to be the type of player who would be a big part of the rebuild. 23, homegrown, massively improved under Arteta, big, strong, athletic, great tackler, and Arsenal through and through. Um, I mean, look, (laughs) there are now rumors that we've sort of reversed course there, that we're looking to give him a new deal, that we're looking to keep him at the club. But as it pertains to to Andrew's question, um, you know, this, this... you can certainly talk about how he played in this game, and uh, we can certainly talk about um, you know his future. But but I want to combine it with John Redmond's question at Jr. Shot Who because he gives you the flip side. Arsenal have been notoriously bad for selling players. Players who initially showed promise have often seen their reputations diminish as performance level dropped. At present, Maitland Niles and Emmy Martinez are both seen as very good assets with little in the way of a track record. Should we sell? I think this is the real challenge, Clive. On the one hand a bright young academy player flashing huge upside at just 23. On the flip side, a track record of a club that needs to raise money that has really been so scared to do what Ted Knutson from Statsbomb said, which is kill your darlings, um, holding on to players too long. And let's face it, when you lose an Aaron Ramsey for free instead of getting $50 million, when you lose an Alexis Sanchez for essentially free, when instead of selling Mesut Ozil, you commit him to huge ways, now you're probably going to lose him for free. You wind up having to sell players you'd rather not sell. And that's where you start to look at a Maitland-Niles. So do you fall into the Andrew the Hinkley Gunner category here or more of the uh, JR shot who category? 
<laughs> not sure which way around that is now, but what I will say is... <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I, he's someone that I've, that I've liked for a while, and the reason why is because what he did against Mane in the last few minutes of that game. I mean, you're talking about the best forward in the league, really, over consistently over the last two years, and he's caught him up, boshed him off, put him in his pocket. Right? So when you've got a player that can do that, and he did it, he did it away at Anfield a while, a year or so ago, I've always said, when you've got someone who can do things really, really well, then look at the things that are a little bit inconsistent and then say to yourself, are those things fixable? And if it is composure on a pass, then you'd say, yeah, that's fixable. All that is is details, body shape, having a picture. That's fixable. Has he got two feet? Yeah, he has. Is he quick going both directions? Yeah. Does he use his feet early? Yeah, he does. This is why I, you can pick a ceiling on a player. When you look, when you don't see a player do something, or, or he can't do something, you know, his body doesn't take him into the areas quickly enough, then you think, okay, I can see a ceiling there. We've made a nose. I do like him, but I'm, I am also open to a £30 million sale. You know, we, we always have to remember, we, we finished eighth last year, and we're trying to make a jump. We finished 40-odd points behind Liverpool. We're trying to make a jump. He wouldn't be first on my list. It's interesting. This I listened to Andrew and James today, and everyone's talking about this, Maitland-Niles and Martinez. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, if I'm Reese Nelson, I'll be a little bit worried at the moment because Smith Rose come back in. Willock's had a good performance. I'm doing okay. Wasn't a great little cameo for Nelson either. I felt. I thought Willock far yeah. far surpassed him in terms of that that sub appearance. And you got to say to yourself, hold on a minute, this is, this is competition. Why are we talking about Maitland-Niles? Why are we not talking about other people that have, have not done it yet? You know? And so this is where the challenge comes in. This is where the challenge comes in. The club's got to make that decision. And I'm comfortable with it. I don't want to see him go. I want to see other bodies go before he goes. I think it'd be really useful for exactly what Andrew said as part of a rebuild. He's there. We're going to obviously change systems from game to game. He's going to be very useful for us. There are other people that he's putting under pressure and he's forcing the club to make a decision. He's forcing the club to maybe look at the Cedric deal or the, or where Bellerin is physically. I heard you guys speak about that on the Instant Reaction pod. And I was going, yes, yes. Who's going to mention Nelson? Who's going to mention him? You know, there are people that are doing the business and other people are not doing the business and you have, you have a decision to make. Some of that's monetary, some of that's when the best time to sell. Maitland-Niles is our only player in the England squad. And we're thinking about shipping him off to Wolves. I mean, I don't care about the England squad, squad, not to be a jerk to all our English listeners. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to have no players that play for their country because I think that's better for Arsenal. But But it shows you that he's on the rise. Yeah, no, of course, of course. As well, and and it's going to put value on him and it's going to make him feel very confident about where he is in the game. It's only going to benefit Arsenal. Let's make it sure it does benefit Arsenal for at least another year. And then we decide then, depending on where we are in our development. So I hope he does stay. But I'm not against him because I keep thinking about that 44-point gap to Liverpool and the fact that we finished 8th in the league. We have to be open to everything to improve that situation. Yeah, well, before I switch over to you, Paul, Clive, can I just ask you a super quick question about Maitland-Niles that I think we have we have to address? Mm-hmm. There's some talk about maybe we should sell Hector Bellerin. He's a couple of years older. He's coming back from a massive injury. He probably has a bigger price right now. So stick with the younger player. Um, get more money for Bellerin. You've got Cedric. Whether you love that or hate that, you're stuck with him. I, th- I didn't think he looked particularly good, by the way, in this game. No, no surprise to anybody. Um, but 
Is there an issue? Maitland Niles has suddenly popped as this almost crazy shutdown defender, something we didn't know was in him. He now looks, he, he reminds me of Juan Bissaka. And Juan Bissaka, when we, when we talk about him for United, we say, gosh, is he a good fullback for, for a club the size of United? Because Juan Bissaka, as good as he is, he, he doesn't add much going forward. And we haven't had a lot of chances to see Maitland Niles going forward on his stronger side. He's been playing on the left where he's on his weaker foot. We've seen some examples. I definitely think Bellerin is the better player technically, and I think he's the better final third player. That's my opinion. But I'll give you a chance here. But so my question is, do you have any concern that Maitland-Niles' skill set is absolutely suited right down to the ground for these big games? But as we discussed against smaller teams where maybe he is the more limited fullback in the attacking half, we might find that it's not quite the fit we want because especially now nowadays we rely on those players to create so many chances and be so important in the final third. Do you have any concern with him being a big game player but maybe not a, a, a small game player? Um, I think it's easier for his attributes to come out in big games. Um, he reminds me so much of my own son. He's, he's, he's just better in tough defensive moments rather than when he's got time against the teams that are not so aggressive and progressive. So then, but I do think that skill's in him. He's got those skills. He's got those techniques. He definitely has. He's got the ability to manipulate the ball in small spaces. More importantly, I've I've always felt this. I've always felt he's the best partner for Pepe on that right-hand side. And so when you pick a player, you want Specifically to try to why? Get another can, can, player. Just, just out of curiosity, like what, what, what do you like with him partnering Pepe that you like more than, than Bellerin doing it, for example? I think he gives him the ball first time, really easy punch straight in. Then that creates yards for Pepe to, to do what he likes. I think he gets around him quicker. I think he plays the ball first time inside, outside of both feet. And that creates, he creates, he's got more angles to feed the ball into him. Because he's a midfielder, he can step you and carry so Bellerin is a, I call him a big space player, a running player that runs into areas and does it really well. He's quite aggressive. He makes people follow him. He's cat and mouse with him. He's not a small space technical player. He's not a great varied passer. He's a simplistic passer, punch and go, one-two merchant. So I think Mayton Niles, of his history as a midfielder and a winger, he's got more technical ability on the ball. We just haven't forced that out of him yet. You know, I think a lot of time he's on his wrong foot. He can stop you. He can start. You can do. He can do. He can do a lot, mate. He is a South London technical baller. That's what he is. But we only to get into a team, you need to bring something in that will pause. You need to bring your superpower in. Still pause words, and his superpower is for me his ability, the recovery speed, and his lightness. When people run him, he turns around really light. He jockeys really square on nicely. Sorry, side on nicely, and he always wins those races. And he's he's good at the old regain retain. He gets it and keeps it. You know, so there's more to come from him. That's why I I wouldn't like to see him go. Um, I don't want to see that come out of another club. I really don't. Um, so yeah, that's my thing. But always think about Pepe here. He's a seventy-two million pound player. As far as I'm concerned, Matt Niles is the best partner for him. Well, I will say this: we put ourselves into an uncomfortable position because. We can't keep Maitland-Niles and Bellerin and Cedric, in my view. Maitland-Niles wants to move in part because he wants to play. And now that he's in the England team and now that he's flashed some real skill, he is in a position to say, I'm 23. I got to be playing game in, game out. If Bellerin goes, there's enough playing time and enough positions for Maitland-Niles to stay. 
If he doesn't go, I don't see how it happens. And and it, I think I. I understand why we made the move. Everything looks easier and more obvious with the benefit of hindsight. At the time that we brought in Cedric, Maitland-Niles wasn't really playing. He looked like he might be out the door, and Bellerin, Bellerin's recovery from, from the ACL injury wasn't totally a guarantee. Now Bellerin is starting to look really good again, in my view. Maitland-Niles looks like a world-beater in some ways, and, and the Cedric deal looks a lot more superfluous with the benefit of hindsight. But the fact is he's there now, and he's there for four years. Um, so it's a tough situation. And we need money. It'd, it'd be rude to sell Cedric. Yeah, we should sell Cedric. <laughs> let's be honest. All right, it'd one be point, very rude. Paul, one you point, just sign somebody, and then you, you're like, um, Cedric, we'd, uh, it's, we'd like to sell you. It really does give me a headache thinking about the fact that we gave him his contract like just a few weeks ago. Anyway, uh, 1.76 acres at 1.76 acres, along with DTDC Gooner at DTDC Gooner, bring a question to Twitter that came out of the, the, the Patreon Discord. I don't know how well-versed you are in this, Paul, and I, I know that I am not, but I think it is very, an important question. Good. Very well-versed. How are we going to deal with the max 17 non-homegrown player situation? We have a lot of non-homegrown players. A lot. We're over the limit. And, I mean, it's easy to say, well, just sell the guys. But someone's got to buy the guys. Are we potentially in a situation where we are going to f- have a bit of a fire sale and do some deals that people will say it's a terrible deal for us because we forced ourselves into this situation with the with the homegrown player situation? There are situations we've too many non-homegrown, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got plenty I of mean, homegrown players we can use because we've relied on kids. so many Academy kids and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so by the way, I should mention, Academy kids don't count towards your squad at all. You can have as many of them as you want. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you get a 25-man squad, 17 non-homegrown, and then 800 Academy kids if you want. That doesn't matter. For sure. And then you look at Bellerin and Martinez, who you aren't necessarily think of. I mean, as I remember, they're homegrown as well. Um, so um, you, you got to be a little careful who you sell between those two and Maitland-Niles, etc. Mm. Um, there's an there's an appeal and attraction. And there should, oh, by the way, should, should, you want who's homegrown? Yeah. Saliba, I believe, is homegrown. And that's because oh, we yeah, registered him. Yeah, yeah. A year ago, some something weird. Like, I think that is the case. So, like, the rules can be manipulated, but I just yeah. thought I'd point that out that they're not always the players you think of straight away as homegrown. Yeah, though it doesn't really kick in with him because he's so young, but it will do in yeah. the future. Like, yeah. he's only isn't he only nineteen? So he's Saliba? still a kid either is, is way. 21? 20, 21? Yeah. No, he's nineteen. He's nineteen. He, he's twenty twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, gonna keep well, going up if you guys keep well going on. for this question. He uh, like I, think, I but for the record. Yeah. He's 19, but he turns 20 in March. So he's actually... No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> okay, go on. So uh, I know we're we're right on that line, but you know what? It'll be fine. And like that's if you're really going to max out your squad to every player. Uh, I think we're close enough. And it, it. I think the issue is we're looking at uh, three players that could potentially go, but... Uh, Bellerin's a possible, Maitland-Niles seemed a likely, and Martinez seemed a likely, but we could. We're so, I don't think anybody should worry about this. We're terrible at selling. We're going to end up keeping all of our players and adding two or three more. Um, But yeah, it's definitely something that, that has to be watched, but you can make it up with our younger players, of which we have a few, and maybe you don't actually need to use every last player on your squad anyway. So I don't think it's any kind of disaster. They'll work around it. Mm. I think um, I think the problem when you get into these situations, though, is that like it, it is a pressure 
that can lead you to make some deals. Like there, there may be a couple deals, a couple sales, a couple outgoings that happen that we look at as being deals that that where we say, oh, Arsenal are terrible at selling. How are we only getting that for this guy? How are we only getting this for that guy? And the the real pressure behind the scenes may be that we had to clear out some non-homegrown players and you wind up having to do things that you wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to do otherwise. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. We're going to carry on with Just Clyde, but Paul has to run. So that was a, a good little cameo from Paul there. I would, dare I say, almost as good as uh, as Joe Willicks at, at the weekend. So good, good job by Paul. Um, all right, Clive, you ready to carry on? Yeah, cool. Cool. Um, here's one from Thomas Good James. about a homegrown player, by the way. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we're, we're in trouble. If you registered three years before you're 21, then you become homegrown. So obviously we did that earlier with Sleeper 18. And so yeah, it's a great spot. I didn't see that. Nice yeah. Spot. Yeah, actually, I'm going to... So let, let me do this. Let's start with Thomas James' question. At Ebby Thomas J on Twitter. How many CMs, including Ceballos, will we bring in by the end of the window. Not how many would you like us to bring in? How many will we? So, give me the number, Ceballos included, and I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's coming, but I think he probably will. How many center, central midfielders or attack midfielders, midfielders, full stop, will come in by the end of the window? I would like to see two more. Ceballos plus two? So three total. Yeah, mm. three total. If you, if, I would like to see one loan. I, I, I would like to see Coutinho loaned. And I would like to see a deep midfield, midfielder come in and someone like Thomas Party come in. And then I think Sobias as well. And I think then you can lose Torreira, you can lose Guendouzi. And, and then it's all about how you use Smith Rowe, Willock, Raylan Niles, Saka to fill those midfield places. So um, that's plenty. So that's what I'd like to see happen. I think the Coutinho one, it's, it's, it may not happen. I don't know the Barcelona situation. But I do love his turnaround ability. And there is going to be times we can need a true number 10 at home. And so I like that. I, I also think, you know, you know my views about midfield at the base. Uh, I think we need the ability on the half turn to move. I heard you guys speaking about that the other day. I thought, yep, that's exactly it. We've got to have the ability to receive on a half turn so we can play through people like Water. And then that's where we're we're still a little bit square at the moment. We're still a little bit passing backwards, still a bit sideways. So Bias gave us a little bit of go forward last year, half turn, receiving it, punching it forward. We need more of that. and We need more ability to carry it past people if we have to, because we're being pressed and we can't have we can't have people who can't athletically beat their man. So one more at the, at the deep side of the team, and one more at the at the sort of like a a false forward rolling in. That's what I'd like to see. Mm, yeah, I mean, by the way, I should mention, and I can't scroll up and find it, but Gwinner at G-W-N-N-E-R also asked that question almost exactly the same. So uh, how do you say that name? Is it Geraint Williams? Ger- Ger- Geraint Williams. Geraint Williams. Geraint Williams. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've said it wrong so many times that now I can't remember which is the right way. Uh, but it's on brand, so that's good. Um, all right, rapid fire. Here we go. Jason Karepsi at Jason Karepsi. Karepesi. Uh, you know what, Jason? He's just Jason. Jason. He's just Jason to me. Um, gun in your head, October seventh. Do we have Ganduzi? Do we have Awar? Um, we don't have either. I think. Mm. Um, I I think Awar is the exactly the type we need. It's just when we need him. Um, do we do it now and then develop into that team, or do we wait until we can't afford him? He is he is the right player for us. I'm just worried that 
we're still going to be developing back three defenders. We've still got two young guys at the back there. We've got ideas in our mind about a back four, but we're not quite there yet. And maybe that will change. Maybe as soon as Arteta does and it works, we go, what are we all worried about? That wild player is our left number eight. And we need to we need a team for him to come into. So it's just when we do that deal, Elliot, really, for me, for that type of player. Mm. But Guendouzi, I see him going out. Um, he'll go out, whether it be on loan or whether it be sold, but he will go out. And um, it's just a matter of when we get that cash back to be able to use it in the uh, there was to replace him. There was some rumor today of like a loan to Valencia with a guaranteed buy option of like seventeen million pounds. And honestly, yeah, if that's what it winds that. up being, then we have botched that situation something fierce. Um, I, I just think my my hope is that. I, I do feel we have leverage because I don't think a kid who is basically just fresh out of his teenage years who just started getting France call-ups can afford to go a season not playing. And I think he's got he's to gotta rebuild his value too. He, he has a role in this, but we'll see. Um, Boyce and Dina Ronha uh, both asked the same question within one tweet of each other. Uh, so Boyce is at Samurai Hawk and Dina Ronha is at Dina Ronha UK. They just asked it slightly different. Dino Ronha says fifty million on our party, and Boyce just says simply, if you could have one of our party, why would you always pick our? I don't think you would. What would you do under that circumstances? Fifty million pounds tomorrow they arrive. Who are you taking? I'll be honest with you. I'm. I love Thomas' party, as you know. I'm concerned about the value of that deal. It's nothing to do with his age profile. It's just a big value on a twenty-seven-year-old. Right, so it's Who just does a thing, by the way, Clive, that I still think like you can live with. I'm not saying he doesn't add huge value, but like you need goals and chances. That's what we're missing. Like I think we can survive, as we showed against Liverpool, with like, hell, if Shaka and El Nenny can keep the door shut at the back, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, the thing about Thomas Party is that he's, um, he's a player that gives us a, a different level of competitiveness. While what, what you have to understand about him is that he's so technically secure. He's just because he's he's six foot plus and he can run around and he can he can win jewels. That's not what I'm looking at him for. We were speaking about Thiago the other week and he does the same thing. They play into him. He keeps it. He moves it. Thiago's special on the turnaround. He's got more composure moves. Party's take on ability is really up there. It really is, and that means that team's going to have to respect us in possession in a different way to their respect to Elneny and Shaka. You know, so we're Arsenal fans, right? So we like our little number eights and our little number tens. We've had quite a few of them, and we're still 44 points behind Liverpool. At some point, you've got to say, I'm sticking a man in here. I'm going to dominate this space. I'm going to dominate the central areas. Shaka's out, he fills holes, he puts out fires. He's not a dominant force that says, I'm the guy in here. You've got to get through. Well, I've got the ball. I've got my head up. I'm coming for you. Uh, we haven't had that player for a can, long time. Can I give you time. one small counterpoint to that? I totally agree with you saying that. But you could make the argument that we became 44 points behind Liverpool and dropped to eighth in the season where we stopped having anyone playing that eight-stroke ten role, right? Like, I mean, the irony is we always did have them. And as long as we always had them, we always stayed top four, even if we weren't where we wanted to be. 
when we yeah. stopped having them, when Ozil drops out of the team, when Ramsey leaves, that's when it all fell apart. It didn't all fall apart when Vieira left. It didn't all fall apart, you know, at that time. I mean, we stopped winning titles, but we stayed a very good team that was competitive in Europe and England. But when Ozil fell out of the team, when Ramsey fell out of the team, when Santi was gone, when Cesc was gone, when that player went away, that is really when it cratered. I mean, isn't it, isn't it possible to sort of view that the lack of that position as the thing that made us not just kind of deteriorate a little, but the bottom fall out. I don't think I don't. I wouldn't say the bottom fell out because of that, because you you look at that a lot with your eye. You look at that. I do. You look that's at very, chance fair. Creation. Yep. Very, very fair. You look at that. You look at our goals against Conor. It wasn't great neither, right? So, so you look at our chance creation. So you those players you named, and then add in Iwobi and Mkhitaryan. Again, it's not the it's not the names. It's the roles they were playing. And so the ability to build from the base to to people who can turn around in the half space and and create, we lost all that creativity. We relied heavily on Ozil. Um, Ramsey was more of an of an arriver. He was decent creatively, but he he knew how to create by his movement. So he was the exclamation point after the the next phase. But we missed that player who at least would fix people and making be marked. His positioning was very, very cute, particularly as he got more experience and his finishing improved significantly as he got older. So he became more of an impact. So we miss that player. We always miss the things we don't have, right? So we have these players at the base. They're very one-dimensional. Sometimes I wish we could miss the things we do have, by the way. (laughs) There there are some players I wish we could miss more. (laughs) But then I, I sat here with you and you said to me, oh, my God, we have so many shots against us. You know why? Because we, we couldn't physically stop people. We couldn't stop them. They're running past us, running through the spaces. Some of that's systemic, some of that's coach-related, some of that's physical, some of that's basic. We've been boshed about. We've been moved around. We're losing athletic running races. Some of that is space-related, some of that's distances, some of that is we just weren't very good. You know, let's be honest. Gwendozi is a little bit slow. Shaq is slow. Tobias is slow. Elneny is slow. I really liked Elneny when he arrived. But you know why I liked him? Because he was better than Flamini. Mm. That's the context by which I liked him. Was he the answer? He's not the answer. He's an answer that gives us eighth. You see what I mean? And this is where we have to develop upon. I think you just said on the most important thing. You can't finish eighth and look at any of your players and say it's working. And say it's yeah. I mean, I and and I mean, okay. There's a few examples like Aubameyang or whatever. But for the most part, when you finish eighth, there are no sacred cows. You know what I mean? Nothing. I I love I loved his players. You know, I don't love any players. You know that. But I like these players. I don't want to see him go. I don't want. I don't want to see him go. But well, we're, just, we're, we're we're Arsenal Football Club. We have to make the step. We have to make the step. And it has to be this year. We won't wait another year. Let's not pretend we're on a project because we're not. We're not having it. Hey, now we're not having it. We we expect fourth. Manchester United are going to spend 107 million pounds on Jaden Sancho probably. They're going to get. Uh, well, they Van just got this Van Beek, Van Der Beek, yeah. Yeah, and they're going to add another centre. They're going to add a centre half. You can see what Chelsea are doing. So suddenly Frank Lampard's been elevated as a coach. I don't think it's going to work, by the way. But we'll come to that. We'll no doubt some sort of season preview. Um, Liverpool. They've been they've been watched a lot. They've had two fantastic years. Everyone's watching them. Everyone's working out how to stop them, right? So that's going to be very interesting. And City are now a work in progress. And then we've got Arsenal with a solid structure and they're developing a top end of their team and the central pillars of their team. Going to be interesting. I trust our coach to do something. Let's not pretend we don't need some surgery because we really do.
Yeah, okay. Well, so then that that leads to an interesting question because I, I, I think we don't know what deals we will get done and we know we need to get some done. But, you know, I, I don't think it is a foregone conclusion. It's weird, right? There's there's this euphoria that, that sort of washes over uh, fans in the summer. A, a renewed belief, and you need it to deal with football. You've got to be an optimist at some level, even if you won't admit it. And we did just win the FA Cup, so that, that explains some euphoria right there. And then you go into the summer and you just sort of assume, for no reason that I can really identify, you just sort of assume that we'll be, be that that we'll do the business and that we'll be better next season. You know, I mean, there's there's this sort of assumption, but you look at the economics of it, and we're about to have a hundred million pound loss, right, or more at least, at, at least, least, yep. Um, and there's not a lot of evidence of the owner wanting, you know, wanting to just kick his money into it. So you do say, why do we believe that we're going to do all this business? And I, I think it is fair to sort of question where this euphoria comes from. Not to say that I don't think it'll happen, but I don't know what evidence we see to suggest that it'll happen. So let me ask you this. Kevin Deneen at Gunnar Deneen asks, with supposed new contracts for Martinez and AMN, assuming we keep them, where do Arsenal generate cash from now? I mean, I mean, unless you think we're just going to see the owner put money in to buy players, cash has to come from somewhere. Where are we going to generate it, Clive? If we now can't, won't sell Emmy, and we won't sell AMN, and I understand why we don't want to do that. But if we're not, where do we generate cash? So you're looking at you're looking at Lacazette. No, that's, that's By the way, I should be... mention that Aaron Rolls at Aaron Rolls Rolls uh, also said um, asked the same question. Sorry. Okay. Important right. inter interjection. It's very important. Yeah. Um, I can see Lacazette going, but I'll be honest with you, I'd like to see him replaced. Right. So, so that's an issue. So, I can, you know, I do think someone we like is going to go. You know, it's going to be Bellerin. It's going to be Maitland Niles. It's going to be one of them. They're going to go. You know, and then he will probably go. You know, obviously Granduzzi will probably go at some point. Just not sure how he's going to go and what the deal's going to look like. Jacker will stay. So we, we got we got some work to do. There'll be some loans going out of doors. The holding's going to go out of door on loan. Chambers is being looked at by Fulham for 12 million. Maybe we can sneak that to 15. But he's not fit, but they may still take him because he's a known quantity to them. That's a little bit of cash there. We've got enough centre-backs. Socrates, it looks like he's going to go to Napoli, is it? Um, well, about 5 million. Was it Roma? Not sure which one. Somebody's probably correct me as we speak right now. So that's that's a little bit of change there. Mustafi's sitting there with a torn hamstring. He won't be back till October. Will he go in this window or will he stay? If he stays in January, he can go on a free transfer. £35 million and a half. That's not great, is it? That's not great. We don't sell Val, do we? Paul's absolutely right. So we've got a few Krasnick. We've got him. We've got a few that can, that can go, you know? So... But it's not big money. So for me, the big money is going to be someone going. It's going to be Maitland-Niles or it's going to be Bellerin. And it's going to break my heart to either of them go. But we need to do something to get the players we need in the central areas, which will change our identity. That a while, and if it's party and it's, if it's a while, what that does is that, that takes Arsenal from being a promising club that's going to finish in the top six to somebody that can threaten the top four. Yeah. I don't, gosh, I I mean, I, I think it is tough because if, if you're going to, if you're going to buy all these players that we think we're going to buy, 
the money has to come from somewhere. And I, if we're not selling Maitland Niles, we're not selling Emmy Martinez. Are we selling Leno? Are we selling Hector? Because it's got to come from somewhere. Let's do this then. Let's steal an idea from a bigger and better podcast. Luca at Luca AFC says, do an Arscast extra style transfer money net spend thing. How many players and for how much? So let's just go through it together, Paul, uh, Paul Clive. Let's see if we can workshop this just a little bit. Um, so let's say outgoings. Let, let's start working through them. You think Ganduzi will go. Do you think it'll be a loan or a fee? I think it will be a loan fee of around $8 million and a buy of around 20 Forget the buy because we don't get it now. Let's just do the loan then, okay? $8 million. Okay. Um, yeah. Maitland-Niles, do you think he'll wind up going anyway? Um, I don't know, but I'm 50-50 on that. Massively 50-50 on that. I think he could go. I don't want to. I don't want I could, think it, he could he go, go for $25 million? Could it, could it be pushed up that high now that he's an England international? For me, just bite for, the me bullet, it's, it? for me, it's 25 Okay, for let's, let's 25. say he goes for 25 Um Martinez or Leno, you think either one goes? I think they do go. I think one goes. It's going to be Martinez. If either of them go, it's going to be Martinez. It's going to be... It, it won't be in January. It'll be like now. Fifteen. Right? So if I'm Arsenal, it's got to be twenty. Twenty. It's okay. got to be twenty. I would say twenty-five. It's not going to be twenty-five. Price. I'd love it, but I don't think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I would say twenty, just based on goalkeeper prices. And I can only go on the guy that's just gone from Bournemouth to Sheffield United, and it's eighteen million. And I'm thinking, you know what? Didn't Brighton is turn than you. down a guy? For, it was Bournemouth. Yeah, eighteen million. Gosh, incredible. Yeah, eighteen um, million. And he's not that good. Uh, okay, how about? Let's flit around here a little bit. Can we can we sell Kolasinac? Or is he, he he's rumored to go, but is it is yeah, it free? It's like four it's or five million. Is it? Okay. Let's give, like let's give that, ourselves yeah. four million. And did yeah. we get something from Mkhitaryan, or is he just going for free? I think this can. I just literally I flashed up just now. Actually, mm-hmm. he's cancelled a contract, and okay. obviously they're taking on his hundred eighty grand wages. So. Um, El Nenny, oh, yeah. do we just sell him somewhere for four or five million? That's what it looks like. Four or five million. Mm-hmm. Um, we okay. bought him for five, six, or six, seven million. So yeah, I think he's going to go before the um, Turkey awaits. I'm afraid. Socrates, four million. Yeah. Okay. To one of the attending clubs, which I've forgotten. Um, and then in the front line, I'm trying to think: is there anyone Lacazette? Do you think he'll go? Lacazette's the big money one. Um, I think there's no talk of a contract. He's two years left to go. This is a time to talk to him. All you read is that he's available, and all you read that Juventus and Athletic Committee are looking at him. Is that the start of a bidding war? I don't think anyone's going to bid anybody at the moment, and because everyone knows it's a buyer's market, lots of these things are going to happen late. Why Thirty take million on deadline day? I t- that's the one. That's the that's the goody one. That's what's going to pay for our midfield if Lacazette goes. Okay, so let's say thirty million. You think thirty million? Thirty-five? I'd say thirty. In this market, it's low we, for a striker of international quality, but we're near low, international quality. But, but yeah, we 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 would take it. Yep. All right. Um, that's where we are. Okay. Um. Anyone else? I mean, there's probably the odd fringe player that I'm not thinking of who I've wiped from my memory and forgotten that he actually. You have exists Chambers on there? Did I don't. Chambers, Chambers and Holding are not on there. You think Chambers goes for five million? I think Chambers has already been a little off of twelve million from Fulham. Okay. We can get it to fifteen. So we let's let's do it for 15. twelve, just because I think we've inflated some of these. Um. <laughs> Uh, holding probably stays. Holding um, stays. I reckon he's going to go for a loan. Newcastle for one year. When David Luiz goes, he comes back in, depending on how he's done. Played well oh, at yeah. the weekend, I thought. Um, he's so, okay, close to his goal. Okay, so that puts us at 107 million, which is 
admittedly a lot more than I was expecting. Um, and maybe a lot more is necessary, but that's, that's not half bad. Do you think any of the, is there potential for like a, a Nelson to get sold or a Willick or a, a, a any Enkedi or anyone like that or no? I don't see that. If, for example, you know, there's obviously there's a guy at Celtic who lots of us like. Um, if there's an opportunity to get Edward, that guy, right? yeah, if there's an opportunity to get that guy and somebody was offering, you know, like 15 to 20 million for Eddie, you got to say to yourself, Martinelli and Eddie are very similar in what they do and what they offer. At some point, there's going to be a decision to be made, but Martinelli is not back till January. So there's no rush to do that. There's no rush to do to do a Nelson unless somebody likes Crystal Palace fancies taking the Zahar money. They've already got the lefty from um, QPR, Ize, his name is, who's a bright player. Are they going to add another tricky wide man that can play inside in someone like a Nelson? Are they prepared to pay for it while they move Zahar on? They may do that. So that could be something that comes out of the sky. He's a, he's a nice player, Nelson. But much like Ainsley Mayer and Niles, much like Eddie, all of them, everybody is available in my opinion, even though I love them. I just can't, I want us to move forward and we need we need better quality. So it's just a matter of what's the best time and who's got the highest ceiling, who, where the opportunity presented itself. Much like it did with Iwobi, opportunity presented itself and we took it. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're at $107 million. Um, let's do some incomings. Ceballos... Alone again, or do we pay and just buy him, or not at all? Um, I don't mind Tobias. I do. I must admit, I'm not as high as some people are on him. Well, evaluation um, aside, because I just want to know: do you, is he coming? I mean, you know, I don't see how some, we can rebuild the midfield without him right now because of continuity. Yeah. So, I, I think he seems to suit the club and suit the manager and suit the group. That's really important, man. And um, he's got he's got a good personality about him. He seems. Uh, this is it's just, he needs to find a home, and I think we could be that home for him. He was cheering us if on at the weekend. Yeah, I saw that. There was a number of around 22 million, 22 to 25 million. Oh, it's, it's a snip. You got to buy him for that. For that, for 23, 24 year old, wherever he is, you got to say to yourself, you know what, you do a lot of good stuff. You've got a good spirit about you. And that number, you've been at the club, you're a known quantity. I, I would do it. Okay. I would do it. So let's start the, the totting up process. Let's say we spend twenty million and we make or twenty two million and make the deal permanent for Ceballos. Party, you think we get him or no? I will be happy to get him if it was like thirty five. If it's forty five, I, I wonder about that number. Really, I got behind you. I wonder about that number. Okay. I think I think it's too much. What about Alwar? I I don't see us being able to get him personally. But what do you think? I uh, I don't. I, I like him, um, and that's a that's if you're going over forty million, make it be for him. You know, if you're so let's do this. Mil, let's put a forty-five him. million purchase for one of our party with the assumption that we will buy someone in midfield for roughly forty-five million. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds one good. one of them, but not both of them. Agreed. We need both, but hey, I, okay. yeah, we need we need three. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Ceballos, Awar, and, and Party sign me up for the title, baby. Um, all right, but so let's let's say we do one of them. So we're at sixty-seven million now on two purchases. Uh, Magalhaes, Gabriel, yes, yep, done. You think? Twenty-five of prox, mm-hmm. rising at twenty-seven. That's in the yeah. bag. So fifty million. We're up to wait. No, that doesn't make any sense. Forty-five plus twenty-two plus. What did we say? Twenty-five, roughly. Um, yeah. Ninety-two million, and then 
Coutinho loan, Tiago loan, um, any of the any of that stuff? I, I like the Coutinho option only because it just feels easy with the um, with our director of football stroke agent. And, I think the uh, Willian move made that ruled that out in my opinion. Willian was free, right? We didn't pay for him. We didn't pay for him. Yeah. Right, yeah. We didn't pay for him. So the funny thing is, we're sitting at ninety two out and one hundred seven in with one of Party or Alwar, with Gabrielle, and with Ceballos. And a little bit of wiggle room if we wanted to push the boat out for maybe one more player. You know, not a massively expensive one, but one more. I mean, you wouldn't... If we get Gabrielle, Ceballos, and one of Party or Alwar, I mean, it, we're not winning the title or anything, but you wouldn't hate the summer, plus Saliba coming in, plus William coming in. I mean, and then having cleared out the players we mentioned, I mean, you don't want it to be Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I get it, but like... Not the end of the world, is it? If we if we sell for 107 and buy for 92 and then there's a little wiggle room. I mean, e- even if you say we do both party and hour, which we're not, you're at 137 spent and 107 brought in. Again, maybe we were a little generous on the selling prices, but like, could you make a move to get to the 137 out? I mean, you're close enough there, Clive, that for the people saying we can't do anything, we have no moves we can make, we can't buy anyone... We're within tw- 30 million pounds, and that's not nothing. I acknowledge that. You're going to have to sell someone you don't want to, maybe. And we sold yeah. Lacazette, which may not happen. But, like, you're at 137 million out and 107 in with Party and Awar and Willian and Saliba and Gabrielle. Um, I just thought of one more, mate, as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention Torreira, did we? Oh, yeah, Torreira. So let's say you can get 25 for Torreira. I mean, if you get 25 for Torreira, that's maybe pushing it. You're yeah. 132. It would be 137 in our estimation to do Party, Awar, Saliba, Gabrielle, Willian. It's not half. Oh, and Ceballos, permanent. Yeah. That's not bad. If you're looking it's at the midfield, bad. then Ceballos, Party, Awar, a front line of some combination of Willian, Sacco, Aubameyang, Pepe. Um, a back line. You can defer Sabayos. You can loan him for the first year and then, you know, for five Well, no, minutes. come on. I'm doing that. Um, but, yeah. but my point is like, you know, and, the, and then maybe, I mean, I, it's crazy and I know he won't do it and he's been never present. I realize my bias is showing, but like if someone wanted to give you 30 million pounds for Shaka and you've got Sabayos party in Alwar and some kids and some other people behind it, like, could you do it? So the crazy thing is this is actually, you know, what's funny about five minutes ago, I said, where's this optimism come from of how we're actually going to make these moves if we make the sales we just said, and I have to admit, Clive, I think we've made it sound like we can do some sales that are harder to do than maybe we think and at some prices that maybe we won't get. But yeah. we're within a margin of error that would let us, and again, maybe we can't get party and maybe we can't get our, like I, I fully acknowledge those players, we may not even be able to get money aside and maybe Ceballos stays at Madrid. They, they may just not let us get him. But at least from an economic standpoint, I think what we've identified is that it could happen. It could happen for us this summer that we could do the deals we want to do using just the proceeds from sales we make or at least getting pretty close. That's kind of encouraging, isn't it? It is. In a normal year, if I said to you we're going to have $50 million to spend, so we can do what we like, but we can only afford to spend $50 million on top of that. You know, we're just assuming that we've got no money, which is probably true. And so we're trying to make sure that all our sales meets the players that are coming in, which is probably not a bad way to think in this COVID environment. So... There's always options. There's options to sell Martinez for, you know, 15 to 20 million and then buy the guy from Brentford for 8 to 10 million and have a few million there. 
this is just this football manager stuff, right? He just the problem is everyone knows that it's going to be a late turnover. It's going to be a late market this year, and so it's going to make it very difficult for us to to sort of assess and guess what we can do, and then then execute on it. And some of those deals look quite complex and complicated. So it could happen. But we could end up getting a load of money or, or promise a load of money towards the end of the window and not the opportunity to actually spend it. And that will leave us in a bad situation. So this window towards October is going to be amazing, I'll tell you now, because there's never been a financial environment with so much uncertainty around when fans are going to be in. If fans are in on the 1st of October, say 20% of fans are in, and there's a plan going forward and we don't have the COVID spikes and people can see by January that we potentially have... 75% of the crowd in. We start to project on revenues a little bit more. We can take a bit more risk. There's so much more of this to come. And it's just going to be so interesting to watch it unfold. And I think another interesting point is like, take a player like Auer. In a normal time, Leon might say, we don't have to sell this window. We're not getting the offers we want. We'll wait. Yeah. But given the COVID situation, you might have clubs saying, we can't really afford to wait. We need to get the money in. Um, which might make deals a little more lubricated, so to speak. I, I definitely think that in the past we've been able to buy before we sell last summer. This summer I think we're going to have to sell before we buy the big ones. I, I Or at yeah. least, if not sell, know that the deals are in place that we could pull the trigger on. You know what I mean? Um, and by the way, none of us want to see Maitland-Niles go. None of us want to see Emmy Martinez go. We don't. I get it. If we could pull off the summer I just said to you, get Awar, get Party, get Ceballos, Gabrielle, Saliba, Willian, and we'd have to move on, Maitland-Niles and Emmy Martinez to do that, I can't imagine there are many people listening to this saying they wouldn't take that trade. So this is why you, you take your medicine. Sometimes taking your medicine actually makes you healthier. That's what medicine does. Uh, more yep. controversial takes like that on future Arsenal Vision post-match podcasts. Clive, Ted, yep. Ted called it, didn't he? He said, it. don't be afraid to churn. And I, I learned a lot from Kill that. your darlings, yeah. Churn, churn, churn. Just churn it. Do it. Raise Do everything. Them, churn, churn, churn. There is a season. Churn, churn, churn. As the Beatles once said. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. And uh, if you'd like, we're going to be doing some video podcasts that will uh, show up on the old Patreon side. And if you don't like, that's totally fine, too. Uh, we're also going to be doing our Predictatron there. And next week, we'll have a season preview that includes listener participation. We're going to have over-unders where we pick certain metrics and make certain predictions, but we're going to memorialize them on a Google form, and you will be able to make your predictions right alongside and see, not just hypothetically, but finally, definitively, how much more knowledgeable you are than the podcast panel. So we hope you enjoy that. And enjoy the international break. we got lots of podcasts coming up. We're going to be talking transfers. We'll talk about how our party, Tiago, and Coutinho are all going to fit together in this brand-new-look Arsenal team this season. So we love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Full of milk.